Thank you, Walter. Good morning. Um, our Bible reading this morning will be from Matthew. We're continuing on in that series after um, the three weeks of Psalms, which has been incredible, and thank you to Jeff Lynn. Uh, the reading this morning is from Matthew, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 to 19. Um, before I read that, just let me open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that we may not only hear your word this morning, but that by your Holy Spirit we might put it into practice, bringing forth good fruit to your praise and glory. Amen. Matthew 11, verses 1 to 19. Uh, I'll be reading from the New International Version. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, when John who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As Jesus' disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare you, your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied, prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Thank you, Andy, uh, for that beautiful reading. We invite uh, Scott Maxwell, and then... Uh, We'll have a bit of a Q&A session and then we're going to um, do a confession and then after that communion that Scott will lead. Thanks, Scott. Good morning. Uh, g'day, I'm Scott. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, so if you're new and joining us today for the first time, please stick around for morning tea. Uh, we, there's many of us who would love to get to know you. Uh, now, just a few things uh, you'll find in your little leaflet there, you'll find the passage that we're looking at, so keep that open uh, so you can check that I'm not making things up. Uh, you'll also find an outline, 
Uh, now, the problem with outlines is that I have to commit to them very early and then sometimes I change my mind and so uh, we're actually only going to focus really on the first uh, point, uh, the first two points and uh, so there will be a question time afterwards. So uh, any questions you have as we go along or those sections that I don't spend much time on, uh, just uh, jot down any questions and we can come back to those. Well, expectations. It's incredible how powerful expectations can be, isn't it? See, we can get so unsettled when things don't turn out like we expected them to. I mean, how many days turn out upside down just because something was a bit different to how we expected it? And then we get in such a flap, we, you know, it kind of takes us half the day to recover and figure out what's going on. Now, uh, this is a bit of a silly uh, illustration, but uh, when we moved here from Sydney uh, in December of last year, uh, one of the, the things that we found hardest, or you know, maybe some of us found hardest to get used to in my household, was the fact that we didn't have a letterbox. Uh, now, it's just a silly thing. It's, it's not a big thing. It's not a big deal. It's not a bad thing. Uh, but we hadn't seen the house before we moved. Uh, and so when Nathan called us, said, uh, everything's in, I've got the keys. And we said, put it in the letterbox. He said, oh, well, about that, you don't have one. <laughs> now, it's just silly, but we were just so used to houses having letterboxes, you know, my wife and I, we'd grown up all our lives, every house had a letterbox. And without even knowing it, we had this expectation that we would have a letterbox. And so that when we don't have it, suddenly we've got my wife sort of second guessing, have we made the right decision? Where is this place we're moving to that doesn't have letterboxes? Now, it's a bit silly, isn't it? It's not a bad thing. It's not a problem. It's just sometimes when things aren't the way we expect them to be, it can be unsettling, it can be a shock, it can leave us sort of second-guessing and asking questions that we wouldn't have thought we would ask. And that's exactly where John the Baptist found himself at this moment in the passage we've just read. See, John found himself confused and unsettled and disillusioned over something far more serious than a letterbox. Because Jesus, uh, John had devoted his entire life to serving God. He devoted his entire life to preparing for Jesus' arrival. But finally, now that Jesus has come, it's not turning out like John expected it would. John, Jesus isn't doing the things that John expected Jesus would do. Well, who is this John fellow? Well, as Jesus confirmed down there in verse 11, you can see that John is what the Bible calls a prophet. He's someone whom God has given a message for the people. And actually there in verse 11, Jesus says that of all of God's prophets throughout all of history, John is actually the greatest of all those prophets. And the reason for that, Jesus explains there in those verses 11 to 13, is that all those prophets throughout history, the jobs that they had given them were not as great a job as the job that God had given John. Because all throughout history, the jobs that the prophets had were, were to come to the people with messages. Messages of warning, messages of judgment, messages of hope. Sometimes God was going to send an army to punish 
Sometimes God was going to send a famine. Sometimes God was going to send a leader to rescue. Sometimes God was going to bring them home out of slavery. But John's message was a greater message. God wasn't just going to send something or do something. God himself was going to come and visit his people. And so John's whole life, God had prepared and used John as the messenger to say, hey, get ready, God is coming. This is literally the biggest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. Have a look. Uh, We're going to just jump back a few chapters. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn back to uh, chapter 3 of Matthew, just a few pages back. And let's have a little listen to John's message, John the prophet. Chapter 3, verse 1. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, turn around, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one, John is the one, who was spoken of long ago in the prophet Isaiah. John is the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. See, John's message had been, get ready, guys. The Lord is coming. Stop ignoring him and repent. Why? Because he's coming in judgment. Have a look. A few verses down, chapter 3, verse 11. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up all the hay with unquenchable fire. See, part of John's message as the greatest prophet ever is God is coming, so repent because he's coming to judge. He's coming with fire. And this is the message that John has devoted his life to. So when finally Jesus shows up, when finally Jesus comes to John to be baptised, God spoke to John instantly. This is the one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one you've been preparing people to meet. Here is the Lord. Jesus is God. Come to us. And so in, in a different John, a different person called John, same name, it's confusing, it's just unfortunate, a different person called John who recorded Jesus' life. In John chapter 1, he records when Jesus, when Jesus came to John and he records what John had to say. John chapter 1, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. He is the reason I came baptizing with water so that he, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. I, John, saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, 
The man on who you see the, the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I, John, have seen and testify that Jesus is God's chosen one. That's not very ambiguous, is it? He's pretty clear at that point, isn't he? John is absolutely 100% convinced that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Lord come to us. Jesus is the king that God had promised. Jesus is the one. And yet, a little bit later, John finds himself doubting. See, John must have thought when he saw Jesus, when he saw the Spirit come down on Jesus, finally, he's here. My job is done. I can just sit back and relax now. Here comes the Spirit. Here comes the fire. Here comes the judgment. Everything I've been saying is coming. And then it didn't. There was no fire, no judgment, no Spirit poured out. The wicked hadn't been destroyed. Rome still ruled over Israelites. And this wicked king in Judea not only was still ruling Judea, but by the time we get to Matthew chapter 11, this wicked king Herod has locked John up in prison and John's rotting away in a filthy jail cell. This is not the kind of sitting back and relaxing that John had in mind when Jesus arrived. And what do we see? Do you see here, John hears what Jesus has been up to and to John it doesn't make any sense. This wasn't what he was expecting. Jesus is going around teaching crowds, hanging out with sinners, playing doctors, doing party tricks with washing water and wine and kids' lunchboxes. This wasn't what John was expecting the one to do. And so now the greatest prophet who has ever been began to doubt God's word. He began to doubt that Jesus was really the one. Have a look there in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, it's helpful to remember, actually, that John isn't the first of God's prophets to doubt God's word. Moses and Jeremiah both doubted that God knew what he was doing when he appointed them. No, you've got the wrong guy, God. I can't do this. Pick someone else. Jonah sat outside Nineveh, waiting to see if God would change his mind, doubting that God really would forgive an entire nation of wicked people. There was the man of God in Kings 13 who God said, do not stop on your way home. And then got convinced by someone else that they had a message from God to tell him to stop on the way home. There's Habakkuk who doubted God's justice. I could go on. But for John the prophet, even after God had very, very clearly revealed to him that Jesus is the one, even after he had seen 
with his own eyes, the Spirit come down and land on Jesus. Even with his own ears, he had heard God's declaration from heaven, this is my son who I love. Even still, what John sees and hears Jesus doing is so unexpected to him that he begins to doubt. He begins to wonder if he's made a mistake and he's got the wrong guy. Are you the one or do I look for someone else, says John. And you know, I think we do the same thing as John. I think if a prophet who has seen the Spirit land on Jesus and heard the word of God from heaven can start to doubt if Jesus is really the one because Jesus doesn't act the way he expects, well then of course ordinary people like us are sometimes going to see Jesus doing things that we don't expect. And we too are going to sometimes doubt, is he really the one? And I just want you to think about your expectations of Jesus. I want you to think about, are there ways that you found yourself disappointed going, why is God acting like this? Why is following Jesus turning out like this? This wasn't how I expected it would be. Maybe you came to Jesus expecting that he'd fix everything for you now. Maybe you expected that Jesus would make life easier. Following Jesus, things would be simple then. Maybe you've expected that Jesus will heal all your sickness. Maybe you expected that he wouldn't let bad and horrible and hard things happen to you. Maybe you expected that Jesus will take away your struggle with sin so that one day it'll just be easy not to sin. I won't keep fighting the same battles I've fought all my life. And then when we have expectations like that, when life is hard, when we're sick, when we struggle, we start to question like John, we start to doubt. Well, is Jesus really the Lord? Is he really the one? Is it really worth following him because it's not turning out like I expected? But I think at that point, we've all got to ask the question, where am I getting these expectations? Am I disappointed because Jesus isn't doing exactly what he said he would do? Because if that's the case, if Jesus isn't acting in exactly the way he said he would act, then he isn't the one. He isn't the Lord. If Jesus doesn't act the way he has said he will act, then we should all just forget him and go and look for someone else or something else. But Jesus does always do exactly what he said he would do. And so the problem must be me. It must be my expectations that are dodgy. Maybe I've expected him to do something that he never said he would do. Maybe I've expected him to do things that I shouldn't have any right to expect him to do. Or maybe I've gotten the timing wrong and I'm expecting him to do something now that he hasn't promised to do until later. Maybe I'm expecting him now to heal, to raise, to take away sin, to take away suffering, to take away the struggle, when actually that's something he's only promised that he will do later after he returns. Or maybe like John, 
when I find that what Jesus is doing is totally unexpected, maybe it's because I've forgotten or I don't really know the truth of what he did say he would do. Maybe I've forgotten something, which leads us to our second point, are you forgetting something, verses 3 and 4. Have a little listen to Jesus' reply to John's question. Back to verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And you see what Jesus did there? Why was John unsure about Jesus in the first place? Well, there in verse 2, it's because of what he was doing. John's unsure about who Jesus is because he heard about the deeds, verse 2, of Jesus. Why did John send his mates to go and ask Jesus if he's really the one? Because he'd heard about what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is doing doesn't match with John's expectation. So, how does Jesus answer John's question? Well, it's there in verse 3, isn't it? Hey, John, verse 4, sorry, have a look at what I'm doing. See that? Go back and report to John what you hear and see me doing. The way Jesus does here, what Jesus does here is actually really, really clever. And it's far more sneaky than just saying, hey, look at what I'm doing, because as Jesus tells and retells what he's doing, he retells what he's doing in the language and the phrases that actually pick up things from the Bible and actually say to John, hey, you've forgotten something. You've missed something here. You're worried about the things that I'm doing. You, you think that the things that I'm doing aren't the things that you should expect, but actually the things that I'm doing are exactly the things that God said I would do. The things that I'm doing are exactly the things that God has promised that the one would do. And so as you see and hear the things that I'm doing, that shouldn't make you doubt if I'm the one. That should actually confirm that I am the one. It's just that John's expectations didn't line up with what God had promised. It's just that John had forgotten all the things that God had said the Lord would do when he came. Well, if you're still not sure about that, just have a little listen to a prophet 700 years before Jesus, a man called Isaiah in Isaiah 35. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. And at this point, I think John would say, yeah, that's what I've been talking about, Jesus. Where's that bit? That's, that's, that's what you're supposed to do, Jesus. Why aren't you doing that? But let's keep reading. The very next verse says this. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 
Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Or a little later, Isaiah in chapter 61 says that the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. See, John was half right, wasn't he? He was right, actually, to expect that when the Lord came, he would come with judgment and fire and vengeance. There is a time for that. He will come with fire and judgment and vengeance. But what John got wrong is that he actually only got half the picture. Because he came before that time of judgment and fire and vengeance to proclaim a time of God's favour. He came just as he was supposed to, just as God had said he would, to heal, to give sight to the blind, to make the lame walk, to cleanse the unclean, to raise the dead and to preach the good news that those who accept him will be blessed. See, John had the fire and judgment bit, but he'd missed out the bit where God actually pours out his love and his favour and his forgiveness and his kindness and his generosity and his grace. John had this lopsided and imbalanced expectation of Jesus. It was lopsided because he wasn't paying careful attention to God's word. He hadn't read and understood carefully enough what the Bible had said about the one. And we do this, don't we? And we see it all around us where we kind of zoom in and focus on one aspect of who Jesus is. We zoom in so far that suddenly that's all we see. I was looking at um, Brett Whiteley paintings this week. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Brett Whiteley, but he loved these kind of big, lopsided, exaggerated features. So you'd paint a face and have this one giant ear and this tiny little nose. and, And, you know, I think often, like John, we end up with that Brett Whiteley kind of picture of Jesus. You know, we focus so much on the ears that we have this picture with these huge ears and no nose or these huge mouth and tiny little eyes. And I think we do that all the time. And the problem with that is, the problem with that is that we always rip ourselves off. Because can you imagine if Jesus had come and done what John expected? Imagine Jesus had just come, fire, judgment, vengeance, destroyed all evil. We would all be stuffed. We would have no chance, no hope, no future. It's far better that Jesus is who he actually is and did what he actually did. And so the question for us today is, do you and I have lopsided Brett Whiteley pictures of Jesus? Have you put so much focus on Jesus' love that you've forgotten his justice? Have you put so much focus on his justice that you've forgotten his love? Have you put so much focus on Jesus as a friend that you've forgotten that he's actually Lord and creator and king? 
Have you put so much focus on the fact that he's Lord and creator and king that you've forgotten that he's friend? Have you focused so much on Jesus as being an example for us to follow that you forget that he actually is the one who did what no one else could? He actually is our atonement, our sacrifice, our saviour. Or do you put so much emphasis on the fact that he is our atonement, our sacrifice and our saviour and did what we can't do so that you forget that he's also an example for us to follow? See, we end up with these lopsided pictures of Jesus. And when we have a lopsided picture of Jesus, we have these expectations that are not met with reality. And when this lopsided Jesus doesn't meet our lopsided expectations, we get disillusioned and confused and we doubt. We can start wondering, well, is Jesus really the one? Have I made a mistake here? Do I need to go and find someone or something else? You know, often I um, talk to people and, you know, I hear people say, oh, you know, I, I don't believe in Jesus. And I say, well, you know, tell me about this Jesus that you don't believe in. You know, what's he like? What's he? And they tell me. And often when they tell me, they, you know, I get this lopsided picture of Jesus and I just say, well, I wouldn't believe in that Jesus either. But would you like me to tell you about the real Jesus? Because he's way better. See, the question for us this morning, is Jesus what you expected? Do you find yourself doubting and disillusioned because following Jesus isn't turning out exactly how you expected it would? Well, my question to you is, where do your expectations come from? Do you have a lopsided, imbalanced picture of Jesus? Jesus says, look at my actions. They prove that he is the one. They prove that he is the Lord come to us to save us. They prove that he is the only one and there is no other. And so to wrap up, I just want to direct our attention right down to the end of this passage from verses 16 to 19. And and here, actually, the Jews of Jesus' day... They rejected Jesus because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. See, they wanted Jesus to play to the beat of their drum, to play to their tune. They wanted Jesus to do things their way. On the one hand, they rejected John as a prophet because he was too much like a prophet. On the other hand, Jesus says they rejected Jesus as a king because Jesus was acting too much like a king. And to them, Jesus says, just like he said to John, have a look, look at my actions. Verse 18, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. See, Jesus says to all people, everywhere look at my deeds look at my actions my miracles my words my death my resurrection they prove that i am the one and there is no other they prove that i am god the lord who've come to the people 
Well, Jesus might not meet your expectations, but at the end of the day, you've got to come to terms with his actions, with what he has done. And they all prove that he is exactly who he says he is. He is the one. Don't look for another.